You're listening to Spice Radio, 1200 AM's The Morning Buzz, and we are speaking to Margareta Dovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. And this week's topic is social media foundations crumbling. Are we in a moment of crisis or opportunity? Plus, have physicists found the semiconductor holy grail? Margareta, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Pleasure to be here. Good morning. Now, this is really big. Twitter is in the midst of a rebrand to X, which no one knows what to make of. Facebook is no longer allowing Canadian news articles to be shared as part of a raging negotiation between Meta and the federal government, and traditional media continues to struggle. What's going on here? Let me just start by saying that despite its well-documented struggles, traditional media in Canada today, and uh, that's all the papers we're used to seeing in print, uh, many of the ones that have become established digital presences, it's very much not dead, contrary to popular belief. It continues to be a very vital and important part of our broader public opinion and thought leadership landscape. And, of course, there's a really important component to this, local community voices. We need a lot of them to have an informed public discourse. And as an example that I've been certainly familiarizing myself with recently, I'm actually in Houston right now, our neighbors in the United States have historically made quite an effort over many, many generations to protect and invest in local outlets like radio. And the result is a rich, varied base of public opinion. Local issues get a lot of play. And, of course, if you're south of the border and you turn on your car radio, you're going to hear many stations specific to small communities, including very, very small uh, little towns and villages and regions. Uh, Spice Radio is, of course, a phenomenal example of this from home. And, of course, we've also seen a similar push from the Canadian government in recent years to invest in local journalism. Uh, something the, called the journalism, Local Journalism Initiative is one good example of it. A huge amount of money being made available to local writers and outlets uh, in an attempt to also pool coverage. So uh, when there is uh, good content being produced, Let's say in Houston, British Columbia, uh, material produced through the local journalism initiative gets set into the pool and outlets across the country can use it. Um, and, of course, there's a role for the CRTC, the Canadian Telecommunications Regulator, in promoting the production of Canadian content, also known as CanCon. However, we've seen a real escalation of uh, these efforts and uh, really set against the backdrop of a struggling business model for media outlets. Uh, the government has decided to more forcefully go to bat for domestic digital and print media. And unfortunately, that's reached a tenuous breaking point. The crux of the matter is uh, that this uh, federal effort to force social media companies to share some of these sizable ad revenues that they get from putting this content on their platforms is creating some, some real friction points. Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, doesn't want to play ball uh, even though the shift to digital consumption and uh, the way social media has picked up on it has actually very massively reduced revenues in the news business. And if you're not making money, you can't invest in journalism. You can't invest in really high-quality investigative pieces in local content. Um, so as a result of this uh, recent escalation, Meta has actually pulled Canadian news content from their platform. Users can't see it. They can't share it. And I can give you a good example. Our CEO uh, wrote an article recently in the Financial Post on salmon farming in British Columbia. That got some sizable reach across very, very many channels just before the ban kicked in. But unfortunately, thanks to this negotiating tactic, articles like this one uh, can't be shared with Canadians any longer. And neither can a response that was recently written up offering another perspective on the matter. And I'm, I'm sad to hear that because 
Uh, the fact is, a diversity of perspectives in civil society needs to be disseminated, and the fact that we can't do that is a catastrophe. Canadians, like most people in developing, developed countries, rather, have rapidly adopted social media as a lead driver of their own engagement with news media. You know, for some generations, like mine, they very rarely watch television or pick up uh, print papers. It's the principal vehicle for learning about what's going on in the world. And while we can still track happenings outside the country, this leaves a substantial gap in coverage, including in circumstances like wildfires needing local reports and information for communities. But ultimately, we'll see how this plays out. In Australia, a similar tactic was actually employed by Meta. When they faced a very similar move by uh, the Australian government, but the matter was eventually resolved and... uh, New content is back on Australian uh, channels. But the reality is that many users who currently rely on Facebook to stay connected to broader issues, not just connected to family and friends, may leave the platform for good. And I think that only furthers the digital audience fragmentation that's been taking place in recent months and years. And as for Twitter, or (laughs) X as the new owner Elon Musk has now renamed it, that's an even tougher one. I've seen influencers, personalities, media organizations leaving the platform, some in response to the owner's political views, moderation policies, you know, what kind of content should be allowed to be on these channels, and some in protest to changes overall to the user experience, including, uh, you know, paid prescri- uh, subscriptions. Uh, as a result, many advertisers are also looking elsewhere. Um, I am hearing overall that there's fear that this could be the end of an era. The popularization of Twitter led to some very tangible impacts on democracy and free expression around the world. Even not-so-democratic governments, uh, we know, track public satisfaction with policy measures via Twitter. And for now, X, I hate to call it that, continues to be the platform for journalists. But I'm seriously concerned. It's going to become harder and harder to reach people en masse as these trends persist. And we have a real challenge to address here. How do we maintain that vitality, integrity of local, national, and international media and journalism in an era of technological change and pressure to these conventional business models? Balanced, fair, accurate coverage has never been more important. And Margareta, where does all of this leave Canadians looking for news and those of us in media and public opinion looking to provide those news and views? Well, less and less options, but we have to stick with it. Incumbents like LinkedIn and TikTok, depending on how incumbent TikTok really is uh, for for users of different generations, have, of course, uh, received quite an advantage here. I've been seeing a really big exodus of professionals to LinkedIn where the tone of commentary is a little bit more chipper, and I think it's partially the result of identity attribution. It's a lot harder to be a ragey troll when your name and face are in what you say. But I also see the value of anonymous public commentary, especially for issues that are not as popular or comfortable. And a healthy society really benefits from having the ability to discuss controversial issues. Ideally, this can be accomplished with people putting their own names on those views. But I think there's a fundamental value to an unattributed perspective. The spiciest, boldest, most insightful takes that I often see are found from anonymous post accounts, anons. Um, And, of course, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Meta, uh, has been making some moves in this space, too. He set up an alternative to Twitter called Threads, uh, and that has a real advantage since it leverages Instagram's networks to build its audience. So if you're an Instagram user and you join Threads, you can essentially subscribe to everyone that you already follow on Instagram, and vice versa. Everyone that follows you can stay in touch with your news and views. Uh, I'm not seeing it pick up as quickly as expected, but... We do see a validation of Mark Zuckerberg's vision for the Internet. Uh, He wants a de-anonymized vision overall. And knowing that it's real people with verified identities 
it's important. Uh, it's important to advertisers, and uh, those definitely underpin Meta's market value. Uh, it also reduces bots being leveraged by unsavory actors like foreign governments uh, to fuel controversy or political division. But, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that there's uh, some kid out there in a basement working on the next big thing that's really going to sweep the way we consume news media and engage with all sorts of trends that span the world in a more interconnected form than we've ever seen prior to social media coming onto the stage. Yeah, no, it, it is a lot happening here, Margareta, so lots to watch out for in that area. Now, in an entirely unrelated matter, there has been significant bustle in the physics and materials science community this week on the topic of semiconductors. What's going on? Yeah, last couple of days and weeks, uh, widespread debate has taken place on something called LK99. And the best way I can describe it, it is a very floaty rock. And the traditional model for semiconductors, um, that is to say materials that can conduct electricity and currents very, very quickly, um, you know, you, you can see them in supercomputers, uh, requires quite a bit of cooling. Uh, they need to be at a fairly chill state uh, in order to function well. So this idea of a room temperature, uh, you know, no pressure superconductor um, is being described as a century-defining material, uh, potentially, as you alluded to, uh, a holy grail that's completely going to change the way that we work with uh, technological components and materials. Um, and there was a huge controversy. Uh, some Korean scientists have been working on this one for decades. Uh, a few years back, uh, including during the pandemic, they've really escalated those efforts. And it was actually an accident by one of these scientists in the lab trying to formulate this material. Uh, his elbow knocked into some uh, uh, test tubes he was handling um, that triggered the formation of the characteristics that are now being described as this holy grail moment. Um, and if this can be replicated, you know, that's up for debate. If it, uh, if it will be, uh, it's going to change the, the entire uh, worldwide approach to uh, material science. And uh, lots of scientists right now in the U.S., China, Japan, India are all rapidly trying to replicate it. Um, the, the guy who, uh, one of the scientists who was involved in this kind of went rogue, and he published his paper without permission. Uh, it had to be withdrawn because the uh, co-authors revolted. Uh, I've seen some analysis that he may have been trying to cement his uh, potential candidacy for the Nobel Prize. Uh, so it gives you a sense of the impact of this potentially. Um, and... Overall, we're going to see some really, really intense uh, debate and discussion over the next couple of weeks. Um, but I'm excited to see what happens. I, I can't underscore the importance, relevance, and significance of these news. Mm-hmm. And what impact will this have on the economy? Well, that's a great one. I have been reading quite a bit of good analysis on this. And essentially, there's three scenarios here. The uh, first one is that, uh, you know, through sort of bare minimum, uh, it can maintain a low field and a low current. Um, that can still have a monumental impact, uh, an estimated $1.5 trillion economic value uh, may take decades to really leverage the technology, if indeed this is the holy grail. Uh, but, you know, it can, it can affect telecom hardware, make it quicker, more efficient, cell phones, electronic sensors, satellites, graphic processors, uh, central processors, antennas, so huge, huge opportunities ahead for computing. Uh, second scenario, we can maintain a low, uh, low field, high current, uh, a little bit more impacted, uh, wires and cables, power transmission, switches and relays. Uh, that's a big deal as well. Our world is really wired up. Uh, we, we need all of these materials and uh, transmission of uh, electric currents to achieve the connectivity that we currently have. And then the third scenario, the really exciting one, could be as high as $4.5 trillion in estimated value. And we could see 
huge transformation in power generation, uh, including fusion energy, electric motors, rail freight, energy storage. So all of this is a really, really exciting opportunity. And it's going to require a lot of testing, a lot of trust. But if this is true and this finding can be validated definitively by scientists around the world applying this approach and systematizing it, then we're going to see a huge rush and growth in all sorts of tech and, and growth industries. So I'm excited as someone who occasionally uh, goes out and invests in speculative things. I'm also excited for the advances that are going to uh, consolidate potentially in things like artificial intelligence and machine learning as a result of having uh, more efficient, faster, powerful computers and computer parts. So this is a great thing to watch, and I hope everyone here uh, takes a chance to dive into some of the commentary taking place on Twitter or the platform now known as X. Mm -hmm. Margareta, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. You take care. Thanks so much, Karen.